Hello and welcome to May I Have This Dance, a podcast from the Human Awareness Institute, or HI, among friends. We're here because we love having real, rich, juicy conversations with people. We strip down with the people we interview, figuratively and only sometimes literally, to the undercurrent of what it means to be human through the lens of love, intimacy, and sexuality. As an organization, HI is a place to explore and embrace our humanness. Obviously, a podcast can't replace our workshops, but we do hope that in these interviews you are able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall I get started with the interview? Let's do it! Ah, So today I uh, am treated to an extra special treat. Uh, I am going to be interviewing two people on today's podcast. And... um, Let's start with the, the person with the longest hair of the two of you. <laughs> what is your name and uh, which pronouns do you use? Longest hair, I think that's me. Uh, and this is Kate. And usually I'm the co-host with Haya, but I get to have the pleasure of sitting in the interviewee seat today. Um, and so, yeah, Kate Gillespie, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm in Denver today. Magical. Well, um, in that case, ha- what a strange universe where I'm interviewing Kate, but why am I interviewing Kate? Who is my other interviewee today? Oh, your other interviewee is Kate's mother, <laughs> and that would be me. My name is Kirby Gillespie. Uh, I am in Lafayette, Colorado, which is about 30 minutes from Denver, and my pronouns are she and her as well, and I'm delighted to be here. Wonderful. I'm so glad to have you. So the reason we had this idea of putting uh, Kirby on the podcast is that um, our paths have crossed a couple of times, including in the Q&A um, episode we did with with Hi a while back. And the amazing thing that happened was that I realized that um, Kirby is kind of an extraordinary parent and an extraordinary mother. And um, I want to learn more about what it is like to be um, a parent that has been deeply within High. Uh, And I believe that Kate was actually introduced to High by you, Kirby. Is that right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. I would love to hear the story of what went through your mind when you said, hey, you know what? I'm going to invite my daughter to go to High. Well, High was such a profound experience for me. I had heard about High from a friend for years, and she had kept, she had said to me multiple times, of all the things that are right in the world, High is at the top of the list. Uh, so it had been promoted highly to me. But when I got there and I experienced this room of love where I felt so held and so free to be vulnerable and I fell in love with the people in that room so easily, and I learned so much about myself, and I learned a lot about my own sexuality. I just really wanted my daughter to experience all of that. Hmm. And uh, she was young. She was only, I think you were 21. Is that right, Kate, when you first went to high? Yeah. So by far, one of the youngest people, certainly at that time, to participate in high. But I felt she had the maturity to be able to really benefit from it. And uh, and then the other reason is that she has had a lifelong interest in human sexuality and educating people around that topic and aspirations to become a therapist uh, with a specialty in that area. So it just felt like also it would be a, a wonderful 
professional um, benefit for her to, to experience it. So I suggested it to her, but it really didn't take a lot of convincing. She, was, <laughs> she just jumped right in. So that is a, um, I feel like there's a lot of sharp edges usually around parents talking to their children about sexuality in general. Um, I feel like there's so many tropes in TV and in movies and culturally about what is okay and what isn't okay. And inviting your, uh, your, your kid to go along to a event, I guess kid, 21 year old is an adult, but young adult <laughs> to come along to a event that focuses on sexuality. That, that feels like it's potentially a pretty brave thing. Um, how did that land on you, Kate? What was it like to be, um, to, to receive that suggestion for you? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have to say about my mom, you know, I, you said at the beginning of this episode, Haya, that you've noticed that she's kind of an extraordinary mother, that, you know, she's extraordinary in a lot of ways, but, uh, in her parenting. And I, I have to say, I was probably like eight or nine when I started to realize that, that my parents were among what I would consider the more unique in their openness with me, their, their, um, acceptance of who I was, kind of the, the, the environment that I was growing up in contrasted with a lot of my peers. And I noticed that at a really young age and, and actually felt quite grateful for it. So by the time I'm 21, you know, I've had this my whole life, this relationship with my mother, what I would characterize as being really open, being very um, heartfelt. And we, there just was nothing we didn't talk about. So you know, it didn't feel strange at all, that, quite honestly, that she say, hey, right. check out this workshop. Um, and actually, I'm just reflecting that we actually haven't done a workshop together yet. Uh, she, you know, said, hey, go do this on your own. And I'm really grateful for that because, you know, uh, I was young, but I was ready to step out into my own, you know, experience of that kind of environment that I provided. And I was very much coming into my own in terms of who I wanted to be as an adult, you know, what my voice was going to sound like to myself and the world. And uh, so it was appropriate for me to go alone. But now that I'm thinking about it, mom, it might be fun for us to do a high workshop together. It's something <laughs> <too>. <laughs> feels edgy to me. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the edge, maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it felt just natural, and it felt like it's a good representation of the kind of relationship that we have across our whole life, uh, my whole lifespan, but also across our whole relationship. It's it's common for us to speak really openly with each other. Is my experience. So was that ever a uh, a choice for you, Kirby, or is that something that just kind of fell naturally uh, in who you are and how you interact with people in general? I think it's some of each. Uh, I am a person that uh, values connection very highly uh, and communication. And so I, I make an effort to cultivate that in all of my relationships. So I think that's kind of the baseline. But I also, I guess I have a philosophy that differs from a lot of people in terms of the way I look at children. And that is that I, I really feel that children's own perspective on things, their own thoughts, their own voice is just as important and valid as mine. And, and I guess that's a, that's a, 
you know, in some ways, I think I came to that decision about that because that's not how I grew up. And so it's one of these situations where I learned some things from my parents about how not to parent. And uh, I didn't feel particularly visible in my family. I didn't feel there were major decisions uh, made about my life that I had no voice in. Hmm. And uh, that was an example of the kind of thing you mean when you say that. Yeah. uh, The biggest thing is that my dad was in the military And so our family moved to a brand new state, brand new location every two years, my entire life. And so, you know, I would get settled in a place and I'd make my friends and I'd get familiar with my school and I'd start to feel comfortable. And that generally took about two years. And then suddenly we have to move somewhere else. And it was extremely challenging. Uh, yeah, it would be. And there was a lot of loss involved in that, a lot of grief involved in that, but there was no room in my family ever for any of us to talk about it. So, mm, I mean, yeah. not not that I was in a position to make decisions about whether we were going to move. That wasn't my place, but there was no room to process any of the emotions uh, in, in terms of the impact on me. And I, I think I must have made a decision. I don't remember this consciously, but I I the contrast in how I wanted to be with my children was quite significant because I, I wanted them to be able to communicate about what they were experiencing and who they were and how they felt and what the impact of things uh, was on their, on their lives. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And especially, especially against the backdrop of really intimate conversations. You know, if I'm thinking about, uh, sexuality and relationships and that sort of thing. Um, it strikes me that that Kate brings a lot of herself to these conversations. And I say that both as somebody who co-hosts a podcast with her, but also Kate's become a really good friend of mine over the past um, couple of years that we've, wor- we've worked together in various uh, aspects. And it always strikes me how she shows up with incredible amounts of emotional openness and insights into bits of herself that I find myself struggling with, but also in how she sees other people. And the way you're describing um, your relationship with your parents, Kirby, I'm realizing, um, well, in part where she gets that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'd like to speak to that for a moment, which is that um, I feel very strongly that my ability to introspect and put into language my emotional world and to empathize both, they go together, and to get a sense for what other people are feeling, I think the stronger that you can understand what you're experiencing on the inside, the better your ability to empathize with others. Because if you don't know what's going on inside of you, how can you possibly map on and and guess, which is what we're really doing when we're empathizing, what other people are feeling. They're, they coincide. Uh, and I really feel that my ability to look inward and feel what I'm feeling and map that on and make sense of that and communicate it outwards came from the very, very early, quote unquote, training of having the space with you, mom, to look. There are so many times that I would be feeling something and you would come forward and we'd sit together and you would just 
hold space and ask questions and prod. And what you were doing actually by creating space for me to speak what I felt, even if it was about you. I mean, I think some parents really struggled to hear feedback from their kids when their kids are hurting or uh, their parenting choices perhaps weren't the child's favorite. You made space for that. And in doing so, you were also giving me the tools to uh, understand myself better because I think it takes that kind of nurturing of creating an environment of openness and also inquisitiveness. You know, your curiosity of my internal world created a safe space for me to uh, cultivate the understanding of myself in that environment. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that reflection. Well, another piece of this that is coming up for me in this moment is that I also really value um, giving my children, so I also have a son, and in both, you know, for both of my children, giving them the understanding and the experience that I trust them uh, mm-hmm. so that they can trust themselves. And so, you know, rather than feeling like I'm the one who should be telling them what to do all the time, which I think a lot of people, a lot of parents think that that's really their job is to, you know, to guide their children by telling them, well, this is what you should do. Uh, I felt like it was really important to support my children to, to find their own way, to find their own answers. You know, as as much as possible, you know, I was still the parent in the situation and, and there's certain things that I just, I had some boundaries around, but for the most part, I really valued them beginning to trust themselves, you know, at a very young age Mm -hmm. um, and make, and make decisions for themselves. Yeah. And for me, in my experience, having that trust from you actually increased my trust in you. Like knowing that you trusted me allowed me at certain critical points when perhaps I wasn't quite sure what to do to trust that uh, I could come to you and ask and know that I wasn't going to be dominated or pushed in any one direction, but that I could lean on you as a guide because your orientation to me was I'm here when you need me. And uh, it's not like you were passively not present. You were so right there with, with your hand on my back but I knew that I could really explore with you what my options were. And I respected your input because you respected my decisions. So it was a two-way street, I think, ultimately, which is, I think, perhaps also something that a lot of people don't realize is, well, if I give the reins over, then will they ever, you know, listen to me when I have input or something like that? But um, I'm thinking of two really important instances in my life. One was with Julia. When I was 13, uh, I had a really interesting, complex relationship with a young woman my age. And she was a friendship. She was a friendship I was developing and it wasn't really that healthy. And I, but I was super attached to this child, you know, this peer of mine and we were really close friends. We're in seventh grade. And, um, there were some experiences with Julia that, uh, put me in danger. And I remember you mom saying, I'm not going to tell you that you can't be friends with this person, but here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing these behaviors and these experiences and the way that you're showing up that doesn't really feel like you. And so you didn't control me, but you gave me your perspective and I respected your perspective, you know, and I, and ultimately I decided to move away from that friendship as a 13 year old. I, it was my first really big lesson 
around setting boundaries of the kind of person that I'm in relationship with. And I don't think that that would have gone quite that way. I mean, there's all kinds of examples of teenagers rebelling against their parents' input about who to be friends with, right? And um, But I felt that it was my decision that you were going to respect my decision around who to be friends with. And Mm. That provided the openness for me to really hear you. You know the other the other incident in your life that I'm thinking about because you've given me this feedback a number of times was uh, the way that we talked about mm-hmm. you your uh, decision about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you feel open to sharing? Please, that? I'd love to hear it from your perspective. Oh, you I was, was going to ask you to share it from your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have already even touched on this on this podcast in a previous episode. Um, but yeah, I'll share a little bit, which is just that my experience was that you came to me right around that same period of time. You know, I was a young teenager really early and I was not yet sexually active. And you came to me and said, you know, someday you're going to want to choose a partner and I will completely respect your choice. And I'm happy for you that that's going to happen for you someday. And I want to help. I want to help make it a special experience. And so right from the beginning, I got the message that I was in control of this decision, uh, that I had your support and that there was no shame, that there was, that this was something to look forward to. And so it set me on this path of actually really valuing the decision. It actually set me up to think more carefully about the kind of situation I wanted for my first sexual encounter. And uh, yeah, it ended up being really special as a result because I I just didn't feel like I had to rush into it. I felt like, oh, wow, my mom's trusting me to make this decision. I'm going to make a good decision. So that's how it felt for me. How did it feel for you? How it felt for me was that I really wanted you to have a special experience when you had your first sexual encounter or relationship. And so I thought about what would make it special. You know, what would that, what would the ingredients be? Mm. And um, one of them is that you would be really ready and it would be your choice, you know, not, not my choice, not his choice, but your choice about feeling ready and really wanting it. And, you know, yeah, it would be your decision. That was the most important thing. And um, mm-hmm. and then the secondarily, the secondary part was that I thought, well, maybe you'd like to have that happen in your uh, in our home, you know? Because I didn't know whether you would want that or not, but I thought, well, that's a place that you feel safe and familiar and comfortable. And so I wanted to let you know that I would make our home available to you if you really wanted to to experience that Mm -hmm. in your, in your own bedroom. So Mm -hmm. yeah, those are the two components, I think. So I think there is something really beautiful in the interaction between the two of you in exploring this. I feel like in a lot of, um, and I mentioned TV tropes earlier, you know, but the general um, context I get for young people's sexuality in the U.S. is, you know, keep the door open, you don't get to be in a bedroom together, and all that kind of stuff, (laughs) which kind of turns sexuality into something that is, I don't know, naughty or illegal or frowned upon or that kind of stuff. And I'm just wondering, Kirby, what was your process to getting to making that safe for for your children well I think again it was it was a process of digesting my own 
childhood <laughs> um, and adolescence because I I definitely well I grew up um, you know in the fifties and had a religious family and there was definitely a message that sexuality was taboo uh, until you're married and I had to work through a fair bit of shame around that and you know I went through a process in my 20s of having to consciously take back my own sense of autonomy and and choice and power around what I thought was true about sexuality so um again I guess it's a bit of a a bit of a contrast uh the other thing that pops into my mind is that I was uh 40 years old. I was 39, about to become 40 years old when I had Kate. And I think that to some degree, it's a matter of uh, having been a little bit more mature person. I, I'm not sure that I would have parented the same way if I'd had her as a younger parent. Um, and then the third piece that kind of goes hand in hand with that is that I've just, I, I'm very oriented, as I said earlier, around these issues of relationship and emotion and how do we support each other? How do we love each other? How do we engage in a way that has, has us flourish, mm. um, both people in any relationship. And so that's been my lifelong passion and focus and study. Uh, so yeah, it happens to be the realm that I, that I swim in, the sea that I swim in is, is these issues of, of connection and communication and, and love. Yeah. Um, so. so if we assume that somebody who's dialed it in, into this podcast has an interest in, uh, in, <laughs> uh, love, intimacy, sexuality, and maybe raising children, um, where do you begin? Like you, the, the way, what I'm hearing from you is that you actually sat with your own past and how you wanted your children's experience to be. But if you were to give advice to somebody who maybe has young children where sexuality is becoming a, a potential topic that ought to be covered, where does one begin? How do you, how do you even broach the topic in a, in a mutually respectful, open way? I think we do begin with ourselves as parents. So, you know, if I'm contemplating having a conversation with my teenager about sex and I start feeling like... I'm scared of this conversation or I don't want to have this conversation or, you know, I'm upset because I think my child is going to do something wrong or be out of control or, you know, whatever the thoughts and emotions are that come up, that's the first thing I have to deal with is my own uh, reactions to things and, and look inside myself to see what am I getting triggered about? Because I think if we can work with our own um, triggering experience internally, then we can come from a place of being centered and open and present and really listen and engage in a way that's not reactive. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, and I think the reason sexuality can be difficult to talk to with our children is that our whole culture is kind of weird about sexuality. And so there's a lot of reactivity, I think, in the, in the, minds of the adults 
and fear about how am I going to do this right or fear that I might do it wrong or, you know, so we, uh, yeah, I think coming back to ourselves and working with our own emotions when they're heightened then gives us an opportunity to speak authentically from the heart with our children and just to be with them and, and be genuine. I also sense that uh, in a lot of cases, many parents feel that sexuality is something children should be protected from. But in a way, I mean, even very young children have a sense of sexuality and turn on and, um, you know, emotions and drives that they don't fully understand. But starting to explore that with another person is a step that, um, you know, can be really uh, conflicting and scary. And there's a lot of new you know, both, both experiences and emotions and some risks attached and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like even as an adult now, when I'm thinking about sexuality, there's so many layers of um, physical, emotional parts that come into that, that I, I can't remember when I first started processing sexuality as a, as a, as a more concrete thing rather than as a more abstract thing. But I do recall that there was a very slow process from thinking about sexuality in the abstract to thinking of it as something that, hey, that is something I might want to try at some point. This is actually something that I feel pretty passionate about, like the progression of the way that we grow into our sexuality and this idea that there's kind of a, a switch that flips. You know, I think for historically, I think recently the flip that has switched is you're married or not, right? And now our generation is kind of pushing away from that, or really the future, the previous generation of the 50s, you know, pushing away from the idea that it has to just be within marriage. But now I think that there's also this layer of, well, actually from birth, from utero, people are sexual and that evolves and that's okay that it evolves. And it doesn't mean that a five-year-old or a six-year-old is at the same degree of sexual development as an adult, but the, the um, being with a young child in the pleasure and in the curiosity and in the evolving awareness of their body and other people's bodies and what boundaries look like. And um, it's just something that's really fascinating to me. And I think this is actually one area that perhaps could have been a little stronger in my childhood that I look forward to with my young children in the future is I felt like mom between you and I and, and even my dad, the navigation into partner sex was really smooth and we had a lot of conversations about it and I felt really supported and I felt like there was no shame there. But something that was missing in my early years of teenhood was talking about masturbation. And this wasn't something that was just super, uh, I don't think it was, it wasn't shamed at all. I never felt like I couldn't masturbate, but it wasn't something that it was quite as easy to navigate between the two of us. Uh, that was my experience. I don't know if you have the same experience, mom, but, um, I got a lot more from my peers in that area than my parents. And so I, I look forward to talking with even younger, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds around masturbation. But then even before that, you know, like the five, six year old who puts their hand on their penis and doesn't even realize that, you know, what, how do you navigate that as a parent such that you're cultivating a healthy sense of awareness and social etiquette, but also encouraging, you know, their shame-free uh, pleasurable development within themselves. So is that a question? How to navigate that? Uh, I'm just commenting that it's in, that it's an important thing that I think that we're getting better at over time. Like as adults, learning to recognize those important stages, and then also how do we 
uh, engage them, those important stages and, and help the child become the best version of themselves within that stage. I am actually curious, Bum, if you were thinking about that as I was younger. I mean, I, I'm very aware of how you held it when I was a teenager, but when I was a young child, how did you approach kind of my evolving sexuality? Well, around the topic of masturbation specifically, what I am noticing as you talk about the really more of an absence of addressing it, um, it's how it looks from my perspective. It just wasn't something we talked about very much. I think that's because it wasn't something that I felt particularly uh, comfortable with or mm-hmm. uh, or that I practiced really uh, in that part of my life. You know, it's something I've practiced more, you know, in the in, in more recent years, but during my earlier adulthood and the time and during the time that I was raising you I didn't engage in masturbation very much it wasn't really anything that I was particularly um comfortable with or self-aware about or was it just not on your radar I think maybe or was it something you actively chose not to do I think it was more not on, on my radar or perhaps had more of the shame I still hadn't shake shaken the shame aspect of it mm-hmm. yeah 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 so when i feel into it in myself like looking at the last 10 years of my like i just don't have any shame around having sex with partners but i still feel some difficulty with masturbation and it's interesting to me hearing you say that mom that you felt some shame because it's just it's not something that was ever said but it's it's translated it's like by osmosis i picked up on that somehow and it's interesting how we we pass that on uh, unconsciously, really, because I'm sure you didn't intend that. Yeah. So, Kate, how does that shame show up for you, if you don't mind um, digging a little deeper? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, it, it's kind of – I'm thinking because it's changed over time. Uh, I have a memory of being a teenager, maybe 15 or 16 – uh, and I had two childhood friends that I was really, really close to my whole childhood from kindergarten on. And I remember being, I was probably a little younger, like 13. And I kind of felt it out with them. Like, Hey, do you masturbate? And both of them were like, no, what are you talking about? And then like maybe two years later, I had some other girlfriends that I became very close to actually my current best friend, Anna. Uh, I had a sleepover with her when I was about 14 or 15 and I tried again. And I said, uh, do you guys masturbate? And the, everyone in the room at that time was like, yeah, of course. Like, and I felt so relieved because I, I really did feel um, like maybe I was, you know, beyond my peers in this way. Maybe I was kind of overly sexual. Maybe there, you know, something's wrong with me. Right. Um, and so it was a relief to have confirmation from other girls my age that they were, um, engaging in masturbation. So at that point I felt a sense of relief and I kind of let go and, and felt like, okay, this is fine. This is normal. And then for a long time, you know, I, I did take having sex with a partner very seriously. So I didn't have sex until I was a freshman in college. So, you know, I had kind of what I would consider a pretty healthy masturbation life all throughout high school. And I didn't have a ton of shame around it at the time, but it wasn't also something that I totally like enjoyed. Like when I became sexual, I feel like I just 
exp- with um with a partner i was free in some ways to explore and i tried new things and you know i just i felt like there was no limits to what i could do in terms of my pleasure and with masturbation it was kind of like quick and done like let's just get it over with kind of feeling and at some point i hit a wall where i was like you know i enjoy sex with my partner more than masturbation so then at that point i kind of stopped masturbating and uh, had this attitude that, well, it's never as good as with a partner. And I think that's the point where the shame really started to become real, realized. It's like, um, yeah, of course sex with a partner feels more fun because I'm allowing myself the freedom to enjoy it in a way that I wasn't fully embodying my own self pleasure. You're just extremely dedicated to your extroversion is what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I just, yeah, I, I wasn't allowing myself the same mental freedom. And so even though I wasn't saying to myself, masturbation's bad, I shouldn't do it. I wasn't, I didn't even occur to me really in the early years to spend time getting to know my body such that it would be as pleasurable as possible. Uh, and it wasn't until this most recent partner with my fiance, uh, we got together a few years ago now, but that it really all kind of came up. You know, he had a really healthy, and he's he's really open about this. So I've actually had a conversation with him. Can I talk about this within high? And he's really, he's given me his blessing, which I'm grateful for, but, um, he has a really healthy relationship to his masturbation. You know, he, um, he's just dedicated to it in a way. He sees it as a form of self care more than just a a sexual release. It's, he takes his time. He takes like a whole evening with himself. And, um, you know, this is another layer of the shame. I, I, my relationship to his self-pleasuring was complex. I, I felt on some level like, okay, this is healthy and I should support this. You know, the, the kind of educated part of, my, of myself was like, yes, this is fine. Um, but the more visceral kind of gut level that I think maybe did come more from my childhood, watching my parents interact with masturbation um, and, and the world at large, you know, the, the kind of... Uh, subtle messages we get as women about our men masturbating, it brought up a lot of pain for me. It was really, and continues honestly to this day to be challenging sometimes. If I'm feeling like, oh, he's going to leave me to go do this, I I can, I can spiral a little bit and get really vulnerable and feel kind of insecure about it. So, uh, and I still am practicing, you know, setting time aside. He's been a really big support for me to take time. And I actually um, wrote my graduate admittance essay about this because Luke and I had agreed that we would have one day a week where it was masturbation time and he would go do his thing and I would do my thing. And I got totally stuck in like, I don't want to be told when to do this. I don't, I don't want to set aside time to have to, to pay attention to myself. The romanticism of a repeating calendar invite didn't appeal to you? Just for myself, right? Yeah, right. Don't want to calendar sex with myself. Um, but really what it was is I didn't want to be confronted with this experience of being uncomfortable, of having to spend alone time with myself. And uh, it took months for me to – and what really broke it open for me was deciding that what the most loving thing to do would just be with exactly where I want to be. I don't have to have an outcome. I don't even have to get naked. If I'm just with myself for this hour and loving myself and tuning into what I need and want, that's self-love. And that's what finally allowed me to drop in and let go a little bit more than I had been. So how does that land on, on you, Kirby? Is that similar to your hesitations around masturbation? Or do you feel like you can't come at this from a different angle? I I feel like I'm still not 
as open about masturbation as as Kate is <laughs> when I hear her talk about it and I hear her sharing about the conversations she has with her partner. I'm 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 less evolved in this arena than she is. Is how it strikes me. Does that bother you? I'm learning. <laughs> Does it bother yeah. me? No, it doesn't bother me. I mean, uh, I, I uh, so one of the things that's delightful for me as a parent is that I now have a daughter. So now we're in an adult adult relationship. I'm still her parent, but she's an adult now, and I learned so much from Kate. You know, she is my um, she's my teacher. And she's certainly my inspiration in many, many ways. And um, so this is this is one of those conversations where I feel like, wow, look at that. Look at look at the way you're talking. Look at the way you're engaging in in this masturbation issue with your partner. And so I, I'm learning and, uh, you know, I'm going to take some of that on myself. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and to me, mom, I want to just name that what you just said so encapsulates what I would say is what makes you special as a parent, which is that you're so open and humble to learning from your kids. And that wasn't just from an adult adult relationship perspective. I felt that when I was a child, that there you would acknowledge verbally out loud the times in which I taught you something. And that instilled in me so much confidence and so much self-esteem and closeness. I mean, we had a genuine relationship all the way throughout my childhood and into my adulthood. Uh, and our it's true that our relationship is different as adult to adult, which and I love our relationship in this kind of friendship zone that we've we've cultivated over the last few years. Um, but your your humility has always been there. and I just so love that about you. You know <laughs> so I'll return the compliment, Kate. I, I you know, Haya, at the beginning of this interview, you made a comment about me being an exceptional parent. And uh, I get that kind of reflection a lot about what an exceptional parent I must be, must have been, because I have such an exceptional daughter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I do take credit for some things. I mean, I, I definitely... I definitely feel like I I did some things right and we're enumerating some of those things right now but I also just feel so blessed by having the opportunity to be the parent of quite an exceptional person. <laughs> and uh yeah. I'm humble about that. I mean I I don't in any way take credit for who Kate is. You know, I I take credit perhaps for not dumping too much junk on top of her, you know, baggage that she's going to have to unpack in order to be free and express herself. I think that's what I was able to do. That is wonderful. But that, um, that allowed her to, to be the shining, beautiful person that she, she naturally is. And that, that part is. I think we're getting to something really beautiful actually, which is, it's a pretty common thing to say that you want your you want your kids to outshine you, right? You want your kids to be better than you are, more evolved than you are. You know, you always want better for your kids than you had for yourself. But the logical extension of that is exactly the piece that we just got into, which is if if you are successful in that and your kids do evolve beyond where you are, then that means you get to learn from them. And I feel like that isn't a given 
uh, as much as maybe it could be? Well, I think if we're coming from this idea of parenting that that is pretty common in our culture, that as an adult, you're supposed to know everything and have all the answers and be the authority and, you know, mold the child, you know, according to your own image or according to what you think they should become. It's pretty hard to be humble uh, when they start outpacing you or outshining you or whatever. It's it's hard to shift at that point. Um, and, I, and I even felt... You know, I, at one point, I, some, I've talked about this with some of my peers, this sensation that, wow, my daughter is wise in a way that I, w- I didn't develop that kind of wisdom until I was 40 or 50 years old. And here she is, you know, in her 20s with this kind of wisdom and insight and, and capacities. Um, and it just sort of like... It's a little bit of a mind bender in a way, but where I always end up in those conversations is that that's the process of evolution. You know, I know I'm standing on my mother's shoulders. I know that she gave me everything she could, but I have evolved beyond where she was able to go in terms of her own personal development. And so it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective that my children would stand on my shoulders and evolve beyond where I've been able to go. Hmm. And I love that. I love seeing it that way. I think that's beautiful. And I think this is actually a really good time to uh, think about wrapping this interview as well. I think that's a really wonderful place to close. Mm -hmm. Kate, do you want to do the honors of asking the magic question? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So mom, uh, our favorite closing question is, what is one song that you can't not dance to? Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> the Hokey Pokey. <laughs> that is an excellent, excellent answer. Oh, and if you could see my mom dance, that would be even more funny. <laughs> I'm not the dancer in the family. Just put it that way. <laughs> Goodness, that's so good. Um, Kirby and Kate, thank you so much for uh, for showing up hard open and and willing to share in such depth uh, for this interview. It's been it's been an honor and a pleasure to uh, to spend this hour with you guys. Well, thank you, Haya. Thank you for facilitating such a sweet conversation. I just loved sharing this space with you both, uh, and uh, thank you, Mom. I so appreciate mm. you. You're so welcome. I'm really honored. Thank you both. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Human Awareness Institute and to learn more about our workshops, please visit our website at hi.org. That's H-A-I dot org. This show was produced by my wonderful co-host, Kate Gillespie. And it was edited and co-produced by my equally delightful co-host, Haya Camps. Our introduction music is called Dance With Me, and it is performed and produced by our wonderful High Workshop participant, Gypsy Jack Van Bree. It was a pleasure to have you with us. See you soon. Ciao.